And he, we brought him in to, uh, as some of our song leaders said, hey, we'd love some coaching. Can, how do we do this? And so uh, Luke uh, is one of the coaches at the uh, Worship Leader Institute, and he's married to my cousin. So we have an in there and said, hey, why don't you come on up? Sure, that sounds great. I'd love to. And so it's uh, something that's worked out, and, and hopefully, um, as I mentioned last week, Cody will never miss pitch a song again in his life. You know, no, it's kidding. No, it's all good. There is a, but the, when we when we come together in assembly, I know that I went through lots and lots and lots and lots of training so that I could minimize myself being a distraction when I'm sharing the words of God. And the same is true with song leaders: is is learning to to minimize distraction so that all of us can just come into the presence of God. And um, it, it was just a rich time together here the last few days with our uh, rotation of Sunday morning song leaders. And one of the things that was really that was really neat that came out, just you don't know what type of gifts people have. And, and one of the questions Luke asked the song leaders at one point in time said, what happens when you're leading a song and then you get in trouble up or, or this isn't going very well? What do you do? All of them said, we look at Beth. And Beth leads us. Walks us through it, and there we are, right? So Beth has this amazing ability right there, is, a, is, a, is who she is, and, and the, the talents that God's given her to be a blessing for all of us. So that's a, be thankful for that, Beth, right? We're all thankful for you as well. Amen, right? That's exactly how it works. Okay, uh, Luke chapter 13. Something that's important in life is asking the right question. Because sometimes... We can ask the wrong questions and, and it leads us down a road where, where there's all sorts of discussion that, that doesn't matter. Sometimes questions can be a distraction. But one of the things that Jesus does here, and remember last week we talked about the first part of chapter 13 where Jesus says producing fruit is important. God wants you to produce fruit and if you don't produce fruit, then we get removed. We get cut off from God's kingdom. That's the message that Jesus finishes with there. And what he does next is he goes into a synagogue and he heals on the Sabbath. And that's what you're going to see from verse 10 to verse 17. And we're going to skip that because here in a couple of weeks, Jesus is going to heal again on the Sabbath. And so we're going to deal with both of those at the same time. But right after that, Jesus, as, as he heals this person on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders say, wait a minute, there's six other days that you can heal. Don't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, wait a minute here. Is it, I think the right question here is not should I or should not heal should or should I not heal on the Sabbath? The right question is, is it good to do evil or is it good to do right on the Sabbath? That's the real question. I think that's what we should ask ourselves. And Jesus heals this, this woman there. And right on the tails of that, he says, he shares another question here. He says, what, in verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Because there were all sorts of ideas about what the kingdom of God was supposed to be like, from the Old Testament, from traditions, whatever, and we'll get to that. But I want to share these parables first, and then we'll talk about what the expectations were. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched on its branches. Now, okay, here's a trick question. How many of you have a mustard tree in your yard? Yeah. Okay, I checked. Again, I'm becoming an amateur horticulturist as I'm trying to figure out what, what zone that these trees grow in. All of trees, at least eight to nine. And we are a what? Zone four, yeah. Uh, we talked about, uh, was it last week, the, um, the fig trees. Yeah, zone nine and ten kind of thing. Mustard tree, 
zone 10 and 11, okay? And so unless you have a greenhouse and you have it turned up to 90 degrees all year long for years, you don't have a mustard tree in your yard, okay? These things grow in only extreme, extremely warm climates compared to where we're at. But something that Jesus mentions about this is these people, maybe they were looking out and they, they could able, outside of the synagogue, there were mustard trees out there, maybe he pointed to them. But they understood that a mustard seed was something that was very, very small. You can see one there. Something tiny, tiny. Kind of the opposite of an avocado, where an avocado has a big seed that grows into a a pretty small plant. A mustard seed is something that is very, very, very small and grows into something great with time. Something big enough that birds can come and perch in the trees and or in the branches. Something very, very big. And he says that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's something that is very small but grows to be very large. And we're going to see what that means here in a bit. But let's fast forward to the next parable he tells here. In verse 20, again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? That's the right question. It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour and worked it all through the dough. And so again, what is the kingdom of God like? It is like yeast that is mixed into flour it seems insignificant, but it makes a huge impact. I did some, some research on, on uh, just bread yeast, and, and it's fascinating. Okay, I'm learning all sorts of stuff here. Because I just figured, you go to the store, you pick up the packet, you throw it in there. That's not exactly how it works. There's a lot more complexity to that. This is the packet that's got the, the star on it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's the yeast that I'm familiar with. Okay, There's all sorts of different types, and... They do three basic things. What yeast does is when you mix it with flour, mix it with water, it provides both strength and goodness. So think about that as Jesus is talking about this in the kingdom of God. Is that the kingdom of God is like the yeast that you put in there. It's almost invisible. But you put it in the bread, you fold it, you fold it, you mix it, and you cover it up, you put it in a warm spot. And what does it do? It grows. It goes from... This big to this big. It gets huge. And that's magic as far as I'm concerned. You know, there's some amazing stuff that's at work there. But it grows. It becomes stronger. And what that yeast does is it gets in there and it binds everything together so that that dough isn't something that you can just pull apart. It stretches and it all holds together. And this is something I didn't know either, is that yeast provides flavor. It makes bread good. And so there's all sorts of different types of yeast, some that are hundreds of years old that uh, continue to, to be used for, for different types of breads and, and whatever uh, is being made. But Jesus says, yeah, that's like yeast that is mixed into a flour, what it does is it provides growth, it provides strength, and it makes things good. That's what the kingdom of God is, is like. And so you can imagine Jesus, he doesn't explain these parables, but he lets the people just... Sit there and think about it. And it says after this, he goes through the towns, and so apparently this is the end of this exchange there at this, this particular synagogue. Then he goes, and he lets the people think about it. And they have to wrestle with their own expectations of what the kingdom of God is. This is a quote from Shakespeare. It says, Expectation is the root of all heartache. And there's a lot of truth to that, because there is uh, some of the... the Premarriage counseling material that I use talks about is unrealistic expectations create all sorts of, of disaster within relationships. Now let's think just an, an easier level, okay? If you 
or, or at school or you're at work and you have been told, hey, we're going to have pizza tonight. How many of you are excited about that? That's, that's pretty, yeah. I, get, I still get excited about having pizza tonight, all right? And what happens if you come home and you walk in and instead of being served pizza, you're going to be served liver and lima beans and hominy? How many of you like lima beans and hominy? Okay, there's some. There's some. I will pray for you, okay? That's, that's rough stuff, all right? But there's an, un, there's an expectation there. If a person's really excited about coming home to pizza and there's liver and hominy and lima beans, you come home and you think, oh no, that is not what I expected. That's not what I wanted. I am not happy about this. Unmet expectations can create a lot of heartache for us. Uh, there was a, a story that I heard years ago about uh, one of the, the guys when he was a, a young Christian in Great Falls, Bill Blue, good friend of mine, that he's a, he's a young Christian and something he did is that when there was a family sitting in front of him and he was a single guy at the point in time, he would just comment to the kids said, hey, your mom's going to take you for, to get ice cream after church today. <laughs> moms are saying, that's not funny. Okay, that's not funny at all. Because what happened is people, they would leave and kids would go home and they'd be upset because they had these expectations that things were going to be a certain way and they weren't. And so when we talk about Jesus' kingdom, think about the people at Jesus' time, what they understood. And we understand this from, from what we see in the Gospels and, and the writings that, are, that exist from that time period. What they expected was Jesus came, or the kingdom of God was going to be that when this Messiah came that all the, the prophets talked about, that he was going to come and he was going to be something that was powerful, that was amazing. He was going to, to travel with great armies. He was going to be a military leader. He was going to be involved in big politics. He was going to be in, in great halls. He was going to be one that came into the temple and gathered the Jews together and so they could, could kick the Romans out. Just something that was visible right in the center of the halls of power. That's what they expected. That's what they wanted. And Jesus tells them, no, no, no. The kingdom of God is kind of like a mustard seed and kind of like yeast. You don't see it hardly at all. But you give it time, and there's some amazing stuff that happens. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, what he does is he goes around to these areas, to people that were, uh, that were unheard of, if you read back in history, people that were forgotten, people that were not remembered. But Jesus goes around and he teaches people. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God wants of you. God wants you to love him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And wants you to demonstrate this fruit in your life. And by the way, the Spirit's coming is going to transform you to, to be even different than you can be now. And Jesus goes from place to place and he finds people that are, that in the, the byways that that are sick, and he heals them. And he says, come to me because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Not like the religious leaders, but you can come to me. Okay? I, I want to make things, I want to heal you. I want to bless you. He tells people to share what they have with people who don't have as much. And he, he does all these things that, that if we look at, and we take a time out and say, all right, let's go and look at what Jesus did in history, just at this point in time. You go around and you just share about being generous and being faithful to God, that seems like pretty small stuff to me. It's almost like if Jesus came to Montana, in our context, 
and landed in somewhere like Vida. How many of you have been to Vida? <laughs> Lance is from Vida. How many of you have been to Vida? Yeah. Wow, that's more than I expected. The, the bustling metropolis of Vida, right? It's, hey, I'm, be, I'm being nice. I'm from Libby, okay? I, I get it. And so just imagine that we start hearing messages about somebody who is a, a great spiritual leader that is in Vida or Jordan or Circle or Troy or somewhere, some small town out of the way place in Montana. And we start hearing, wait a minute here. This is, you know, we're in the Gallatin Valley. This is the center of Montana. You know, we, we, we've got it going on here. But who is this person that is off somewhere in some backwater community doing good stuff? We want to hear about that. And, and you see that when Jesus goes along, the religious leaders, very few of them apparently, had seen him do any sort of miracle. They weren't, they weren't there when those things happened. And they ask him, come on, Jesus, we want to see. Come on, do a trick for us. We want to see this. We've heard about this. Jesus, <laughs> produce good fruit. That's what God wants for you to do. And so instead of this, this great armies in this, this big politics, Jesus goes to the small, the quiet places and he blesses the people where they're at, sharing with them, love the Lord your God with all your hearts and mind, love your neighbors yourself, produce fruit, keeping with repentance and righteousness. That's what God wants you to do. And just do that. Now I think if we took a time out there again and thought, man, I wonder what type of impact that guy would have made, probably our response would have been, not much. I'm sure he made some people feel good about themselves, got some people closer to God, and that's maybe the extent of it. But when we fast forward to the book of Acts, something we see, and here's uh, what happens when works in small things. The Pentecost comes, apostles speak in, in different languages, there's, there's 3,000 people that are baptized there. And this is what it says right after that. They committed their lives to Christ. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, if I read this, I don't think, man, these people are going to change the world. These people are doing something big here. What I, look, what I see is I look at this and I think, it looks like these people are getting together and having a good time. It looks like they're enjoying life. They are excited about whatever's happened, but devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer, that kind of stuff doesn't change the world, does it? We fast forward to uh, chapter 4. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money to the, from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to need. And so, in essence here, these people are being generous to one another. This isn't big politics. This isn't armies. This isn't massive demonstrations. It's nothing like that. It's just you and me being generous and taking care of the people among us. Fast forward to Acts chapter 5. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's there by the temple. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And so these people are getting together. They're healing some people by the power that the Holy Spirit's given them at this point in time. But I think if we stop and say, in the grand history of mankind... 
this still isn't big stuff. This still isn't stuff that you would have written about in the history books to say, wow, look at these people. These are amazing. These people are movers and shakers at this time. These are people that are just doing small stuff and getting together. In Acts chapter 8, this is right after Stephen is executed. It says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, what would, what would you and I do if that was happening? If we were unjustly being thrown in prison, being uh, taken advantage of, Maybe we'd riot, maybe we'd go to the streets, maybe we'd seek legal recourse, all that sort of stuff. This is what these people do. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They just went somewhere else and said, Hey, do you hear what Jesus has done for me? Wait a minute, didn't you guys get run out of Jerusalem? Wasn't that a tough situation that you had to, to walk through? Isn't that so bad? Oh, yeah, there's, there's always bad stuff that happens in life. But guess what? Jesus did. Jesus raised from the dead, and that's something that I want you to know about. Can I talk to you about that? I'm excited about this Jesus raising from the dead. This is great stuff. You fast forward a few more chapters in Acts. Here's a quote here that I, I appreciate this quote. Now, Paul comes into town, and the response from one of the town members is, These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. Turn the world upside down? Seriously? They're praying and participating in the Lord's Supper and talking about Jesus raising from... Turning the world upside down? This doesn't seem like they're doing anything that's big. It doesn't seem like they're doing anything that's earth-shattering. They're praying? No, but these people have come here. They're turning the world upside down. We're terrified. We're afraid of them. Because what happens is when we decide, each one of us, I'm just going to do whatever I can do right now for God. No matter how small, no matter how insignificant it may seem, we do those things. God puts all of it together to do amazing things through all of us. Listen to what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Maybe we could say this is his counsel on how to change the world. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Do you see what Paul's asking for? Help me to be clear in my words. Help me to be courageous. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And as Paul is sharing this here, he's not talking about, man, watch me do something big here. Watch me manipulate the crowds. Just help me share the message of God clearly. And let's pray about that a lot. Let's pray about that a lot because that's what really matters. As Paul understood more than all the rest of us, the real miracle, <laughs> the real miracle, you know, he was healing people. He's doing some stuff like that. But the real miracle is that Jesus had got a hold of his heart and baptized, received the Holy Spirit, and transformed to be different. God living in him had transformed him to be someone totally different. 
And that's the real miracle. That's the good stuff. That's the stuff that matters for eternity. And so this kingdom, as he shares in these parables, is may seem really, really small and insignificant, whatever's happening, but watch out because God's kingdom does big stuff with time. And as you go on through history, we can't help but look around and see the amazing impact that Jesus' kingdom had on the world and has had on each one of us and our families personally. And so think about this. If I walk through life thinking, man, I've got to do something big for God. I've got to do something that matters. I've got to really be, oh man, I've got to, I've got to think, I'm going to, I'm going to put my mind to it and I'm going to figure out what I can do that's, that's huge. I think what happens is there's a danger in there of us always thinking about something else and not realizing what's happening right in front of us or the God, opportunities that God has placed right on our doorstep or right in our hands. And we can walk through life doing that on so much. But maybe it's good for us to realize, and this is part of Jesus' point here with these parables, is do the small stuff, but realize that God is working together through all of you to do something really amazing. There's an analogy that I think about quite a bit is, is that how many of you like puzzles? Okay. Yeah, when I look at a puzzle, I just see work and frustration. You know, personality-wise, whatever. I like puzzles, puzzles that have about six pieces, up to nine. Good with that, you know. I'll roll with that. Nine-piece puzzles, that's good. But I see these puzzles that are a thousand pieces, and I watch my mom put those together, and I think, wow, that's impressive. That's amazing. But that's really how God's kingdom works. Is is I wonder if each one of those pieces of the puzzle could talk. You might say, boy, I'm just part of the sky or I'm just part of the water or I'm just part of a tree here. I don't feel like I'm very significant. I don't feel like I can do much. I feel like I miss out on so much. And if God is the, the puzzle maker, he says, don't you worry about that. I have a special place for you. And when all the puzzles put together, we can step back and we can see something beautiful, something amazing, something that makes a difference, something that is, is big. And so maybe that's the great message in these parables for all of us, is that if you're laying in bed awake or walking in your quiet moments thinking, man, I'm, just, I'm not sure what I can do. I'm not sure what God's plans are for me. I'm not sure. I feel like I've, I've messed up so much. I feel like I've got so many shortcomings. How on earth is it possible for God to use me here in this area? And the, the grand scheme of the world we're just a, a backwater place where there's people come through and, and, and nothing of great significance. But I'm convinced from these, these parables of Jesus that every one of us is a very valuable piece of the puzzle that God has designed to do something very beautiful as part of a bigger picture. In Luke, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul finishes that chapter. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so our job, again, and we talk about this a lot, living out the abundant life of Jesus, is to decide, wake up every morning, today I am God's and I'm excited about being part of his kingdom, whatever that may be. But as, as Paul asked, help me to proclaim the word of God clearly. In whatever way I can, whatever way I am, whatever, whoever I'm in contact with today, help me to show to the fruit of the Spirit 
Help me to love them as I would love my neighbor, or love myself. And help me not to get discouraged. And I know in this life I'm just going to see a little piece of the puzzle. I might see part of the big picture, but I don't, I don't know all that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be the best little piece of that puzzle that I can be today. And I'm going to live out the abundant life of Jesus and I'm going to share the joy of the Lord with anybody I come in contact with in whatever way I can. In some way, somehow, God's going to use that to do something great and something amazing. And so whatever you are, wherever you, whoever you are, whatever you feel like your gifts are or your gifts aren't, don't get discouraged. Realize that God uses really small stuff like all of us together to do great things. And that's my prayer as we continue on, all of us, is to just be excited about whatever piece of the puzzle we are. And get up tomorrow morning, look more like Jesus than we did today, and do that for the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years. And who knows what kind of things God's going to continue to do through the community here and the people that we have influence with. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, the elders are waiting in the back and they're glad to pray with you and to walk with you through whatever you're going through in life at this point in time. Let's stand and sing together.